Uh, well, we are um, continuing our uh, sermon series going through 1 Corinthians. And uh, 1 Corinthians has been a really fascinating, interesting um, letter for us to go through as a church uh, because uh, this little church in Corinth, which is in Greece 2,000 years ago, had a lot of problems, uh, had a lot of interesting dynamics going on uh, within themselves. And it's been so interesting for us, I think, to be going through this, this letter written to this church because this is 2,000 years ago, completely different culture from ours, different time frame, everything, and yet we have so many similar problems, so many similar balances that we're trying to find, and it just shows that no matter what the culture, the language, the time period, the human heart, humanity in general, we have problems, and we have a lot of times the same problems, just kind of, you know, different sort of uh, fruit from it, you know, but the, the same basic thing going on in our hearts that we struggle with. Uh, but in our day and age, it's maybe different than their day and age as far as how it comes out, but it's the same internal struggle. And so this morning, we're looking at uh, the balance in life, the balance of church, faith, family, work, social life, kids. How do we balance all of these things? And really, it is just a huge can of worms that I'm opening up this morning because I know this is something that all of us struggle with. We all struggle with how do we find balance in all this stuff? How do we fit in all these different crazy parts of life between you know, work and family and making money and going to church and uh, our social lives, kids' sports lives? How do we find balance in all of it? And unfortunately, there's no cookie-cutter answer that I can give you, but it's something that hopefully as we go through today, we'll maybe get a little bit more of some, some grip or some, some bearings on it, maybe some handles to, to kind of help each one of us, each family unit or every individual here, to be able to actually work through how do I find balance in a very busy life with a lot of different things that are pulling at me. And it's something that every single believer has to wrestle with and try to figure out. How do we balance all this stuff? How do we fit God into our calendars? How do we fit God into our lives? How do we fit God and our faith into our priorities? This is something we struggle with. And for starters, I know we've all thought this, how do I fit God into my calendar, all those things, but for starters, the way that I even just said that is part of the problem. That we approach the idea of God, the idea of faith, and we ask really the wrong question we ask ourselves, how do I fit God into my calendar? How do I fit God into my priorities? How do I fit God into my work life, into my social life? And really, we're starting from the wrong place when we start off that way. When we start off with, how do I fit God into this? Imagine, if you will, like if you're, say, a husband, and if you said to your wife, honey, I'm just not really sure how I'm going to fit you into my life this month. I'm just so busy, I've got work, I've got all these things, I'm not really sure how to fit you into my calendar or into my priorities, I'm not really sure it's gonna work, right? Or if we said that to our kids, mom and dad, you say to your kids, hey kids, you know, mom and dad, we've got a busy month, I'm not really sure how we're gonna fit you into our calendar. Not really sure how I'm gonna fit you into my, my day, you know, but maybe in, the, maybe in about a month, we'll see you. You know, our kids, imagine if you said that to your parents, Hey, mom, dad, hey, you know, I got a lot going on. I got Fortnite. I got all this stuff going on. I'm not really sure how I'm going to fit you into my calendar this month, but maybe we can touch base in a little bit. I mean, that sounds, all that sounds ludicrous, doesn't it? To, to think of people, people that we love, people that we clearly make room for in our lives, we would never speak to them in that way. And yet 
we so easily, so flippantly, so casually approach God that way. I'm not sure how to fit God into my life, into my calendar, into my work week. I don't know how to fit prayer or reading the word or being in fellowship with other believers. I'm not really sure how to fit that into my life, but you know, maybe I'll get around to it. If I got a little extra time, maybe we'll get around to it. Sadly, this is very much how we treat God, how we treat our faith. And it's very common. And I don't say this out of judgment or condemnation because I know that this is common. This is common for all believers to struggle with making this a priority. Having this, thing, this, this, this faith thing be so important to us. And so we have to then approach it differently. We can't approach it with saying, how do we fit God? How do we fit faith into this? Because clearly with these other examples, with our spouse, with our kids, we look at the other things and we say, how does our family, how does my wife, how does, my, how does all those things, how do they fit into my calendar? We start with them and then we approach the calendar. We start with them and then we approach the finances. We start with them and then we approach uh, the things that we do throughout our week. And so we actually start with them rather than start with the calendar or whatever it might be. And so a better way to maybe pose the question rather than saying, how do I fit God into my life, is how does our family life, how does our calendar, how does our social life, how does our financial life, how does our, our work week, how does all that fit in with God? How do those things fit in with God and what he's up to in the world and in my life? Not how does God fit into those, but how do those things fit into God? Does that make sense? starting from the other side and going from that angle. And we're going to hopefully tease that out a bit as we go through today and maybe figure out a, a different way to approach our priorities, our calendar, the things that God has given us. Because this is not easy. This is not easy. There's real obstacles that we deal with, real obstacles that we face, whether you're married, you got kids, you're single. And that's exactly what Paul's going to be pointing us to today, is the reality that we live in a difficult busy life. So how do we approach our faith? How do we approach God? And how does all this stuff fit together as one? So let me pray as we jump into the text. We're going to be uh, in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, starting in uh, really in verse 28 uh, and going uh, through verse 35. Father, we come to you this morning and uh, we come to you maybe a bit exhausted. Uh, maybe a bit frazzled, stressed out, or maybe feeling like we're packed to the limit, packing our calendars too tight, budget and wallets are stretched too thin, all kinds of things pulling at our, us uh, from different angles, and then the guilt that comes when we think to ourselves, how do we fit you into all this? How do we prioritize our faith? And then the discouragement of just that very thought causes us just to kind of groan under our breath and just feel like failures, feel like we're just, we're blowing it. And we want to come to you today, and I'm hoping, I'm praying that for me, for my wife, my family, my kids who are in the service today, and with everyone else, my friends here that are in service today, I hope that we can come to this place today hearing your word, hearing the truth, hearing some things that might be challenging, might be difficult, but I hope more than anything we leave refreshed, relieved, hopefully maybe even with a bit of a plan. And I hope and pray that we walk away from this place knowing that even though we're going to fail in all of this, 
We're not gonna do this perfectly, but we know that your grace is sufficient for us, that your love is unending for us, your patience is everlasting. And this is what keeps us going and not giving up because we know that you're patient with us. So help us, Father, that you would help us work through these things, that we'd be honest with ourselves and with our family and our friends, that we don't have our stuff all together. And that's why we're here. We're here because we need help. So Holy Spirit, we pray that uh, you would lead us into your word today, that your word would ring true in our hearts and find a home in our hearts, and that it would go to work in our hearts. We thank you, Lord. We love you. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 28, you can open there and we'll read through, we'll read through the whole uh, section and then we'll uh, kind of go back and, and go through it a bit. So Paul says this, those who marry will have worldly troubles and I would spare you that. And here's what I mean, brothers. The appointed time has grown very short so from now on, let those who have wives live as though they had none, and those who mourn as though they were not mourning, and those who rejoice as though they were not rejoicing, and those who buy as though they had no goods, and those who deal with the world as though they had no dealings with it. For the present form of this world is passing away. Now I want you to be free from anxieties. The unmarried man, the single man, is anxious about the things of the Lord. He just thinks about the things of the Lord, how to please the Lord. But the married man is anxious about worldly things, how to please his wife, and his interests are divided. And the unmarried or betrothed woman is anxious about the things of the Lord, how to be holy in body and spirit. But the married woman, she's anxious about worldly things, how to please her husband. And I say this for your own benefit, not to lay any restraint upon you, but to promote good order and to secure your undivided devotion to the Lord. So what's in view here, the desire for Paul is to have them have an undivided devotion to the Lord. Whether you're single, whether you're a husband or a wife, he wants us to have an undivided devotion to the Lord. And this is how we're going to approach this, is just this context, living in context of the life that God has called you to right now. If you're married right now, if you're single right now, if you're in high school right now or in junior high right now, how do you live in context and have an undivided devotion to the Lord? And so Paul walks through here the acknowledged reality that in this life, there are absolutely practical things that draw our attention away from the things of God. That's the reality. And that's not necessarily a bad thing, but there, there's just the reality that there are practical things that divide us in our devotion. We have to have jobs. We have to make money. We have to put food on the table. We have to care for our kids and provide for our kids, pay for the kids' schooling or sports fees or whatever it is, dentists, doctors. We have to spend time with friends. You name it, there's lots of things that divide our attention from just a pure focus on the things of the Lord. And Paul specifically is speaking, firstly, here to marriages. He says, if you're married, you're going to have worldly troubles. Worldly troubles that don't affect singles in the same way. And he's not saying that singles don't have worldly troubles because singles also have their own commitments in their life. But if you're married, you, you at least double your anxieties, your, your worldly troubles. Once you have kids, you then multiply that even more. 
You have more people to care for, more people to look after. You're not just taking care of yourself and providing for yourself, but now you're providing for at least your spouse and not just financially providing, but emotionally, spiritually providing for your spouse, providing for your kids. And so now you've doubled or maybe multiplied the anxieties and the worldly concerns that you have to keep in mind. Anxieties that divide your attention. And that's just the nature of being married or having a family. Now to the singles, he has some positives that he points out, but also some, some similar mentions and cautions. He says to the singles, you have less worries and you have more ability to give undivided attention to the things of the Lord and the things of your faith because you have a little more freedom of calendar, maybe a little more freedom of uh, finances, time, whatever it might be. You have less people to be concerned about in a, in a very specific way. You're concerned for your friends, your extended family, but you're less concerned with them as maybe a husband is for his wife or a wife for her husband. But to both married and singles, here's what he says, going back into verse 29. He goes, this is what I mean, brothers. The appointed time that we're living in is growing very short. Time is short. Life is short. From now on, let those who have wives live as though they had none, and those who mourn as though they were not mourning. Those who rejoice live as if they're not rejoicing, and those who buy act as if they had no goods, and those who deal with the world as though they had no dealings with it. For the present time, or the present form of this world is passing away. He's saying that to the married or the singles, to the students, to the high schoolers, to the junior hires, we need to start living as if this life is not all that there is to live. That there's something beyond this appointed time that you're living. That your time in junior high or high school or as a single or as a married couple, this isn't the ultimate part of your life. We have to start living with a bigger picture of the context we live in. We have to live as if these things are important, yes, your time in high school, your marriage, definitely important. Your friends, your social circle, yes, important. But they are not ultimate. Sometimes we approach our family, our marriages, our finances, we act as if these are ultimate. Everything in life revolves around our business, our jobs, our money, our happiness, our comforts. These things maybe are important, but they're not ultimate. And so he's saying to the one who's married, you have to live as if you're not married. And it doesn't mean you neglect your spouse. Clearly, that's not what he's saying. He doesn't say anything like that otherwise at other places in Scripture. But he's saying to have a mentality that you hold on to these things, but you don't hold on with this tight grip as if this is the only thing that matters in life. You have to have a context, a, a, a certain perspective that says, yes, these things are important. My kids are important. My family is important. But I'm living in a time where I have to live as if there is something more ultimate than my family or my singleness or my calendar. Regardless of married or single, he's saying those who buy goods, you have to act as if you don't need these goods, right? You go spend money, you buy things, you go on your trips, you go on your vacations, you have your hobbies. All those things are fine. But he says for those who buy and spend money, live as if you had no goods. Hold on to those things loosely. Don't have a tight grip on these things. Like you must have them for your happiness. You must have these things for your fulfillment or satisfaction. Hold loosely onto these things because the good Lord gives and the good Lord takes away. But yet if he does or if he doesn't, we want to bless the name of the Lord. This is what Job said. Live as if we had no dealings with the world. We still will deal with the world. We're going to make business transactions. We're going to purchase things. But we have to live as if we have no dealings with the world. 
These things don't grab us. They don't have our attention in an undivided way. Because what Paul says is the present form of this world is passing away. So for both, he's saying how we spend our money, how we fill our calendars, the things we celebrate, how we invest in our hobbies and our social life, these things should not be our ultimate goal. These things should not be our our ultimate satisfaction as if this is all that we live for. Why is this the case? Because he says the present form of the world is passing away. Now, what does he mean exactly by that? What does Paul mean when he says this present form of the world is passing away? Different commentators that have studied the Bible, they read through these words, they kind of disagree on some of the details, the nuances. I'll give you three options. But I think there's a kind of a, a, grand, a more grand scheme here that kind of ties them together. But a few things that Paul might have in mind here, all of which are relevant for us. Paul might have been referring to this ramping up persecution that was going on in this day. Right? The church is fairly new, and within a few years, Rome would be after the Christians in a way they had never seen in these previous 40 or 50 years. And so here's Paul And he's maybe referring to this present life. Hey, guys, we've had it okay for the last few years, but there's some persecution coming up that's on the horizon, and it's getting heavier. So the present form of the life we live, it's it's not the same. So we got to hold on to these things a little more loosely. We're going to be losing some rights here pretty soon. Us Christians, we're not going to be treated quite the same as we're used to. And this proved to be true. Within a few years, Rome really heightened their persecution of Christians. Maybe Paul was mentioning something like that. Maybe that's what he had in mind. Or maybe he was speaking of a hope that Christ would return soon. Hey, this present life, hey, Jesus is going to return pretty soon for us. So we've got to have that mentality. Or maybe he was speaking simply just generally that since Christ had come to the earth, since Christ had died for our sins on the cross, since everything had been paid for by Jesus on the cross, that the previous whole way of living, the previous 4,000 years of the Jewish faith has gone. And now Jesus comes and he gives us this great commission to go, therefore, and make disciples. He gives the Holy Spirit inside of us, gives us our our marching orders to go out and make disciples and share the good news. Maybe that's what Paul's referring to, that the old way of living as God's people, the Jews, that that time is gone. No, now we we have the Holy Spirit in us and he gives us this mandate to go and make disciples. So we have to start living that way, living more sacrificially, missionally. All three of these reasons are pretty solid reasons. And maybe Paul had all three of them in mind to some degree. And consider this, that if it was maybe upcoming persecution that he had in mind, we Christians today, we can heed this advice to be mindful of that because the tide has been turning in this world and in our country. We might start losing some rights here or there. We might see, and we are seeing, some ramping up persecution. We might not see it in the same way that Paul eventually saw in Rome. But we have to be prepared as people that we can't hold on to these things, our rights and our freedoms, as if these are ultimate. They're great. They're fantastic. They're awesome. They're amazing. They're good. They're important. But we have to be prepared. We have to be prepared that these things might be taken from us. And so we can't live as if they are ultimate, as if these are the things that we have to hold on to We have to see that we're in this context because the present form of this world is passing away. And so we have to be prepared. We might lose some of these rights or freedoms. Or maybe also, it's also true that Christ can also at any moment come back to this earth for his church 
to declare his sovereignty over the whole entire existence and universe. This could happen at any point. And so we have to also be prepared with that mindset that we live as if, not as if we're going to actually live out our full 75 or 85 years. We know the Lord could return at any moment. And so we should be living that way. We also know this, that Christ has indeed given us the most incredible gift of himself, coming to this earth, dying on the cross, and then giving us our marching orders as a church in 2018 in North County, San Diego. He has given this mandate to us to go, therefore, and make disciples, sharing the good news of Jesus Christ with everyone we come in contact with. And so in that context, we need to live with that viewpoint that God has put you on this planet. He's put you in this county, put you in this place, put you in this church for a particular reason. It's to raise you up and to help you change and to, to equip you so that you can go out and share the good news with Jesus, of Jesus. All of these things we can have in mind because the general point is clear here from Paul. We need to live with the right things in view, the right perspective. We have to have the right things as the center of our universe the center of our world, the center of our priorities. We need to live as if what matters most to us is Christ. What matters most to us is what God has done for us through Christ. Not that we would just try to squeeze him in here or there, but rather that we would build everything around him knowing that everything is from him. Every blessing you have, every priority that you have has been given to you from God through Christ because of his love for you. And so rather than just trying to squeeze him into that, we should have him be the center of all of these things. Because notice that Paul does not say to get rid of these things. He doesn't say to not have dealings with the world and make purchases and have wives and husbands. That's not what he's saying. But rather he's saying that to stop living as if those things are everything. And ask yourself, singles, husbands, wives, kids, High schoolers, teenagers, ask yourself right now, what are the things in your life that are maybe ultimate? What are the most important things to you, the kind of things that gives you the most joy? What are the things that you you live for, you just look forward to? Maybe it's the weekend, maybe it's relaxation, maybe it's the vacation, maybe it's time with friends. What do you obsess about the most? What do you daydream about during the day? What do you go to bed at night thinking, I can't wait to wake up and do this or that? What do you hope for the most in your life? What do you hope is in your future? What do you hope is coming up in the next school year or after graduation or the day maybe that you might get married? What, what are those things? What are the, the most things that give you hope? This is what Martin Luther said, the reformer from the 1500s. This is in your notes. He says this, and this is such a great perspective for us. He says, don't suppose that abuses, meaning when we abuse these things, we abuse money, we abuse our time, we use these things for our glory and pleasure. Don't suppose that abuses are eliminated just by destroying the object which is abused. We can't just get rid of these things. Paul's not saying get rid of your husbands, get rid of your wives, get rid of your kids. That's not what he's saying here. He's not saying go, don't buy anything anymore. That's not what he's saying. We can't just get rid of these things and that's gonna fix the problem. So Martin Luther says, men can go wrong with both wine and women. So shall we prohibit and abolish women? Right? He's speaking hyperbolically. Of course not. That's that's ludicrous to think that. And he says, the sun, the moon, and the stars have been worshipped. People have worshipped all these natural objects. So shall we pluck them out of the sky? 
Clearly, we can't do that. We can't just look at the things in our life and think that some kind of ultimate abstinence from all these things is the way to go. That's clearly not the answer. But Paul rather is saying that in light of the present reality, we ought to live our lives where these things, family, singleness, marriage, jobs, hobbies, calendar, comfort, these things not, not necessarily be gone from our life as if they're wrong or evil, but they ought to be centered around Christ so that we can use these things as tools and opportunities to share the good news of Jesus in and through our life. Not just so that we can simply enjoy them as if they are ultimate, but so that we can use them for the ultimate. Now, I want to take a little trip back into biblical history a little bit because I think this is such a great uh, context we can live in because this thought from Paul isn't a new thought. This isn't something that he just came up with. As it pertains to family life and social life, this concept is as old as humanity itself, to use these things for the purpose of God's glory. From the very beginning, it was God's design for us to live our lives to make known His goodness, to make Him ultimate through our life. This is the original plan, so that God alone would be seen as the most ultimate thing in our life, that the things that God gives us would be used to point others to God. Going back into Genesis, the first command given to the first husband and first wife was to be fruitful, multiply, and fill the earth. Then fast-forwarding a little bit in Genesis, there was the, the great flood, Noah's ark. And after Noah and his family, these eight people, got off the boat, what did God say to Noah? He said, be fruitful, multiply, and fill the earth. Also in Genesis, we see a story called the Tower of Babel, where people were not heeding the command of God to be fruitful, multiply, and fill the earth, and rather they were gathering unto themselves, building their own world, building their own lifestyle, building their own community where they did not need God. They didn't have time for God. They were trying to do all their things, and so they wanted to build their own little utopia that had nothing to do with God. So they built this tower, and they wanted to become the center of the universe. They, didn't, they were not fruitful. They did not multiply. They did not feel to be unto themselves. So what did God do? He scattered them. And this wasn't just simply a discipline or a punishment. This was to fulfill what God had originally designed for humanity, to be fruitful, multiply, and fill the earth. He's looking at humanity saying, no, 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 no. No, I want to fill the earth with my glory. I want to fill the earth with the good news of who I am, my goodness. Don't just stay unto yourselves. Don't keep this yourself. No, go scatter among the earth. Fill the earth so that other people will know my goodness. And so I want to just share this with you, this command. Clearly, there's a natural command in here. Making physical babies, multiplying and filling the earth with humanity natural, physical people. That's clearly in view here. But it goes beyond that, that this, this, this be fruitful, multiply, and fill the earth, this was really like the first time that the Great Commission was even given to humanity. Right, do you see that? That when he said that to Adam and Eve, he's saying, be fruitful, multiply, and fill the earth, but not just in a natural way, but, but take, take what I've given you. I've, I've forgiven you for your fall. I've forgiven you for your sin. I've covered you with the, the skin of animals. And I've given you grace and mercy. Now, be fruitful, multiply, and fill the earth. Teach your children, teach your grandchildren about who I am. 
and that your grandchildren would teach their children, their grandchildren, that eventually we'd see the whole earth be filled with people who know of how good I am, that they'd be amazed by my goodness, that they'd be saved from their sin. So be fruitful, multiply, and fill the earth. But eventually humanity would keep sinning and rebelling against God. And so what God do? He, he destroyed the earth with a flood. But he spared eight, this family. And when they came out, he said, be fruitful, multiply, and fill the earth. God did not just simply have in mind refilling the earth with the same old rebellious people that he destroyed in the flood. No, he's saying to Noah, be fruitful, multiply, and fill the earth, not just physically, but tell them of my grace and mercy that I did not completely destroy humanity. I'm a good and patient God, and the old way of living your life for yourself is only going to bring about death and destruction and emptiness and loneliness and darkness. So I'm starting over with you eight. Now be fruitful, multiply, and fill the earth, not just physically, but spiritually with people who know of how good I am. But then, you know, as people just gathered unto themselves in Babel and they're just living life as if this is all there is to live, just this life. Everything was about us and me. And he said, no, be fruitful, multiply and fill the earth, scatter and tell people of my wonders. So what does this mean then for us? This means that the command to be fruitful, multiply and fill the earth is not just for married people. This is a command that's also for singles. It's also for teenagers, junior high, high school. This is for all of us. God has called all of us spiritually to be fruitful, multiply, and fill the earth, to go, therefore, and make disciples, sharing the good news of Jesus, that as you scatter, you don't just hole yourself up in your home. You have your little cult of family where you're just kind of unto yourself, and everything's about me and my family, and that's it, and you got this little fortress no, don't build your own little tower of Babel at your address where you live. Scatter. Be fruitful, multiply, and fill the earth. Go into your workplace. Go into the places where your calendar takes you. Go into your sports teams. Go into your schools. The places where you buy coffee, the places you shop. Go into those places. You have to deal with the world, but don't act as if those dealings are ultimate. Rather, use those things your marriage, your kids, your calendar, your sports, the places you shop, all the places, use these things to be fruitful, multiply, and fill the earth. Use those things in a way to where those things aren't ultimate, but they serve something that is ultimate. So in your family life, in your single life, you have, as Paul says, things that we have to think about. We have dealings we have to deal with, things that are gonna cause our hearts to be divided. For the singles, you have unique freedoms and you have unique challenges. But Paul points out here the unique freedoms that you have. He says you have less anxieties in the sense of having others specifically to worry about. And this is why when a young guy asks me, well, when's the right time to be married? They wonder, when's the right time? When, when am I ready? Or when, when's a good time? This is why I always say to them, you are, it's a good time to be married when you really believe that you can take care of someone else. Now, if you can't even take care of yourself, and there's a lot of young guys out there that can't take care of themselves, you are not ready to take on the responsibility of caring for someone else that could lead to multiplication and having more kids. And now you're taking care of four or five or six people. Now, I'm not saying you gotta be perfectly ready because there's just no way, right? Because we have to kind of go to the school of hard knocks to learn some of those things. 
but you've got to at least be able to shepherd your own heart towards godliness and holiness if you think you're going to be able to shepherd a woman, right? Because Paul says clearly, once you have that other person in your life, once you have also kids in your life, your, 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 your attention is divided. Your anxieties are multiplied. Your worry is multiplied. You have more cares to think about. And so for the singles, you have less of those things in that particular category of life. But singles also have unique temptations. The temptation to make life all about you. Because you don't have to serve a spouse. You don't have to serve your kids. I mean, married folks can attest to the fact that once you had kids, you realize how selfish you actually are. Right? You're going, I can't do a lot of the things I would have liked to do or the things we did before we had kids. Marriage has a way of revealing your selfishness. So you singles, you have unique temptations. It's easy to make life revolve just around you because you don't have to, to, to give away certain things to other people in the way that a married person does. So you have unique temptations. And this is why Paul says to you, as you deal in the world, as you deal with the things that you have, your goals, all those things, you have to be careful not to make those things ultimate, not to make your life center around you. You're also called to be fruitful, multiply, and fill the earth, but in a spiritual sense, to not make your life about you, but to make your life about filling the earth with the goodness of God. Now, marriage, you have certain restrictions in your life and also unique opportunities. You have, as Paul says, things that are going to hinder you. And the temptation for you is to make your family unit or your marriage ultimate, to make the family, your own little cult, your own little babble that you live in and, and make ultimate, where everything revolves around the kids, everything revolves around the family, and whatever makes the kids happy, that's what we're going to do. We make the kids basically the center, the, the, the tower that's in Babel. But if we're to be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth, not just making babies, but in the spiritual sense, we have to see our family as people who are going to be blessings to all the families of the earth. Because also in Genesis, as God sets apart the people of Israel, starting with Abraham, he says, I want you to bless all families of the earth. And God even speaks that prophetically. He says, you are on this planet. You are going to bless all families of the earth. This is what we're called to do as God's people. We're not just here just to bless our own family, but we are called to be a blessing to all families of the earth. And so families and singles, but families, your family is on this planet to be a blessing to other families, not just to bless yourself, not just to bless your kids, not just to have the ultimate marriage. You've been put on this earth to be a blessing to all families of the earth, to be fruitful, multiply, and fill the earth. I'll use an example uh, from my own life my life with uh, my family. And I'm speaking from perspective of a family, but the concept of, well, I'll just share with this example is for everyone. Uh, for about four or five years, the last four or five years, you guys know I coach baseball, love coaching baseball. And for about four or five years, every night during the baseball season, when we pray as a family at the end of the night, you know, we're in the, the boys' bedroom, we pray for the families that we have on our teams. We pray that God would use us to bless them. We want to be a blessing to the families of the earth, the families that God has brought into our life. And so we prayed every night during the baseball season. And a lot of times in the off season too, when we maybe see people or maybe when the season's coming up, we would pray specifically for certain families 
And we'd also just pray in general for the families that God has put in our life. And we would pray this for four or five years. And every time I'd go to draft kids, I'd go to the draft, you know, with the other managers and I got to pick the kids. You know, a lot of times you're going after kids that you know, you want to hope to get some repeat kids that you've had before. But a lot of times you get to a certain part of the order where you don't know the kids. And every time going up to every draft, I pray. And I even pray, I'm, t- I'm, I'm dead serious. I pray during the draft. Not out loud. These guys would be looking at me like, what's that guy doing? <laughs> But I'm praying during the draft. I know my time's coming around. I'm looking at the different picks. I don't know these names. I just pray, Lord, help me pick the families that we can be a blessing to. Help me pick, because I know I'm not just drafting kids. I'm drafting families. And I just, I pray. And we pray this before the season comes up, we pray as, as we're getting to draft day, our family prays that we would just pick the right kids. We, we, we pray that we hope that we get certain kids we know, but we always pray, God, we're going to a new season. This is a, a, a place that you've sent our family into. This is a way that our family breaks away from our little tower of Babel, our own little cult of self, our little Christian ghetto, and this is where we scatter and so we pray as a family, God, how, how can you send us and scatter us into this little place, Mission Sports Park? How can we be a blessing? Lord, help us pick the right families. And over the years, sometimes, in those first few years, sometimes it feels like the thing I say, like we're just pouring water on dirt, right? The, the season comes, the season goes, and we feel like nothing really happens. And we might get discouraged a little bit because we just feel like we're just pouring water on dirt, but nothing pops up out of the ground. And yet over time, maybe the first two or three years, we wouldn't really see a whole lot. But after year four, after year five, we start seeing stuff pop out of the ground. And we start seeing these little saplings come up and we start seeing fruits from all this labor over the years. Not us saying, how do we fit God into our baseball? We say, if we're going to get into baseball, we got to do this so that God is part of this. Not hopefully we can find a way to squeeze him in, but we say, God, is this what you want our family to be a part of so that we can be a blessing to the families of the earth? If this is going to take too much time or if this is going to become about us, then we don't want to be a part of this. We're not going to jump in and say, how do we make God a part of it? We're going to say, God, is this the way that you want us to be a blessing to the families of the earth? Does this fit in with your agenda for our family? Not how do we fit God into our agenda, but God, is this gonna fit into your agenda for our family? And if it's not, then we wanna move on and do something else. But if this is the way that you have us scattered, then this is what we wanna do. Just Friday night, a couple nights ago, we had a little, uh, our fight club boys, the six boys that I've been meeting with for the last year, year and a half, we had a little camp out. Well, you really call it a camp out because no one actually went to sleep. There was no camping. <laughs> one point in the middle of the night, I think it was five in the morning. Uh, so it actually wasn't the middle of the night, it was the beginning of the morning. Five in the morning, one of my sprinklers uh, popped and the water started. And these, these six 14-year-old kids start running into the house screaming. They're like, we heard a gunshot. And I'm going, oh my gosh, we go out. It's just a sprinkler, right? So 14-year-olds scared to death. But anyway, we had them over and one of the boys, as we're doing this fight club, we're talking, we're sitting around, talking about life, talking about being 14. We're talking, the conversation went from, from one topic and it eventually went into, how do we get to heaven? And some of these boys, they, they don't know the Lord, but they're, they're here because they, they want to know. And at one point, one of the boys said, we should do this every year until we're 50 years old. And I said, I'll probably be dead by then, boys, but maybe 30 years old. <laughs> 
But two Sundays ago, uh, when Forrest spoke here, which by the way, when I was listening to Forrest's message, I, I just love when our church gets to hear from other pastors from even outside of our own church because it just, it's, I think it's just so refreshing for us. I was listening to him, just so thankful uh, that you guys just had an opportunity to hear from Forrest. Uh, but I, I, we were gone two weeks ago because it was a time to give our family a day to go spend with these families that we've been pouring water on for four or five years. Uh, it was our all-star tournament. For many, it was their last game of baseball that some of these kids had ever played. And it was the last time that I would be coaching these kids. It was our last game. And it would be the last game that I would ever be coaching some of these. Some of these boys have coached 100 baseball games over the years. I counted up. And so two weeks ago on Sunday, it was kind of like, felt like an eighth grade graduation. I'm like the eighth grade teacher and it was emotional. There was a lot of thanks, a lot of hugs. We didn't want to leave the fields. We were taking pictures like it was a wedding. Okay, now with the parents, now with the kids, now with these three boys, now with this coach. And it was this, but it was this amazing, surreal experience. And I'm looking back at the last five years of pouring water on dirt. And here's this moment that we get to spend with these families that God has enabled us to be a blessing to. And it was emotional. It, it kind of caught me off guard. It caught a lot of the families off guard. There was families that were in tears. A lot of emails and text messages and thanks and hugs. But to be a part of their life has been so special for us. Something I'm just constantly, constantly amazed with. For our family, this is how our family has sought out to be fruitful, multiply, and fill the earth to not act as if our family is the only thing, our family is ultimate, my marriage is ultimate, to not do that, to not even make baseball ultimate, but to use all these things, to hold on to them loosely, so that we, so that I, so my kids, my, my family, this great game of baseball, whatever it is, we can use these things to point people to the goodness of Jesus Christ. And so for us, this is something that's so important for us to constantly see our, our family life to be something that's on the altar. We're a blank check before the Lord. Lord, how do you want to use our family? How do you want to use my life? Whether you're single, married, whatever it is, junior high or your high school, you say, God, I'm a blank check. How do you want to use me? We don't want other things that will come and go in our life to be the center of our world. Even something like baseball that we love, but rather we want baseball or whatever it is to serve the thing that is actually the center of our world. So for us, building the, the habit and the value of being committed to God first and foremost, committed to a church family, committed to the word of God, committed to having discussions with our kids, discussions with our friends, making him, making Christ the center. We don't want to get through life and eventually we realize that we've made our family ultimate. So what's that going to teach our kids? When they're older now, family's going to be ultimate. There's not going to be a priority in reading the word or going to church or being around a church family. If we're making baseball ultimate or family ultimate or the marriage ultimate or money ultimate or vacations ultimate, what's that going to be teaching our kids? What's that showing our family? What's that showing the, the non-believers around us? Hey, yeah, we, we think the same things are ultimate, money. We think the same things are ultimate, family. No, we don't want to do that. We don't want to teach our, our kids in that way. There's a uh, website. So a lot of you guys have heard of this. Babylon Bee. You guys have read that before? It's a satire. Uh, and it's a, it's a Christian satire that kind of points out a lot of things, funny things, sometimes sad things that Christians do. And this one popped up. It was about a family who was shocked 
so shocked that after 12 years of steadily taking their kid to church once every three months, they're surprised that as their kids become an adult, they don't, they're not committed to a church family. I just want to read you a couple paragraphs. Now, this is going to sting, okay? I know it's going to sting, right, but we're going to move on to some good news after this, all right? So remember, this is satire. Local father, Trevor Mickelson, and his wife, Carrie, are reeling after discovering that after 12 years of steadily taking their daughter, Janie, to church every Sunday that they didn't have a more pressing sports commitment, she no longer demonstrates the strong once-every-three-months commitment to the faith that they raised her with now that she's college-aged. Trevor Mickelson was simply stunned. I don't understand it. Almost every single time there wasn't a rained-out game or a break between school and club team seasons that we had Janie in church. It was at least once per quarter. And aside from the one tournament in 2011, we never even missed an Easter. It was obviously a priority in our family. I just don't get where her spiritual apathy is coming from. Now, I, I know that's like, and the thing is, this isn't just about kids' sports. This is about our vacations. This is about our work. This is about our desire for family time or me time or going to the beach, whatever. When we start making those things ultimate, I'm not saying, and Paul's not saying here, that we can't do these things. But rather, what we need to do is not make these things ultimate. Not making work ultimate so much so that we're only going to church. Or, and it's not just about going to church. I just want you to hear this. Because hey, church isn't the only thermometer on how much you love Jesus. This is about our time in the Word. The time that we give our thoughts towards Christ. Our time that we spend in prayer. Our times we spend with other believers, being encouraged in our faith. And the times that we spend scattering and bringing the good news to other people. It's about all those things. And it's not that having 100% Sunday church attendance makes you a better Christian. That's not even true. And it's not that we don't take these Sundays here and there to go spend time with family. Or maybe we go and we, you know, we get it, we go camping, whatever it is. These are all fantastic, great things. But when we start making those ultimate and all of a sudden, now we're teaching our kids something completely different. We're teaching our kids that we can do this two out of the four Sundays in a month or whatever it is, or, or we don't have to read the Bible because going online or going and doing this thing is more important than being in the Word. We don't have discussions with our kids. We don't bring up the topic of faith with our kids. We just talk about everything else and anything else except for that. When we stop making Christ our priority and other things become priority, that's when we have to start taking some self-analysis. It's not at all saying that these things, I mean, I just said that two weeks ago we were doing this. But in our family, we've made the priority having discussions with our kids at night, praying with our kids at night, doing devotions. And we don't do that even perfectly at all. But our kids know that the priority in our home is Christ. We don't do it perfectly. We make mistakes. Sometimes we slip off the side of the road. We get a little detour. But hopefully by God's grace, we always come back onto center. And this is a struggle. It's a, it's a challenge for every single family, every single single is how to find this balance of having Christ center, but still knowing that your, your interests are divided. And this is why Paul says, we're gonna have these other interests, but we need to hold on to them loosely and not make them ultimate. That's where we have to do our own self-analysis. And I can't give you a cookie cutter uh, way of doing this. I can't give you that it must be X amount of hours or X amount of chapters in the Bible per day or this many times during the month you have to go to church. I can't tell you that. This is something that's between you and your family and the Lord something that we all have to wrestle with ourselves because these good things, they come up, right? Baby showers that happen on a Sunday or that maybe take away your family day or whatever it might be. 
these things come up. And these are good things. These are God-given things. We just can't make them ultimate. We can't make them ultimate. So now for your family or for your singleness, it's looking at your life and saying, how can I live this life as if my hobbies, my interests, the things that I like to do in my spare time, my place of life, single, married, whatever, these things aren't ultimate. How do, these thing, how do I live out these things in light of what is ultimate? Because Christian, you were given a unique life. It's different than mine, and it's different even than your spouse's. And that life is waiting to be filled with joy and satisfaction, fulfillment, and peace, but only when you begin to start to use your life in the way that it was designed to be lived, not filling it with other things that are less than and treating them like they're ultimate. It'll never be enough. You'll never have enough comfort. You'll never have enough money. You'll never have enough vacation. You'll never have enough relaxation to totally satisfy you. Only when we start living our life in the way that God has designed, when we make Christ the center, when your goal is to live a life of thanksgiving and making him known, then there's something that starts clicking that you never quite experienced before in your family life, in your singleness, in your marriage. There's a peace, a trust, a joy. And for me, I know that my interests are divided. Paul says so. God's word says so. I know that. Time-wise, I have to find a balance between date night and family movie night and baseball practice and working outside, working on the house, family devotions, school events, all these different things. All these things that divide my time and take me away from, to some degree, just a pure thought upon God. So my challenge is how to not make those things the focus or the main goal in my life. How do I center God's work in my life and have that be centered and have all these things rotate around it? For me, I'm constantly going into every situation. This is one way that I do this. I go into every situation. I think to myself, how can I be a blessing to this person or that person that I'm going to be engaging with? How can I share and show the love of God to these different people? Now, for some of us, we err on being too inward with ourselves and our time and our calendar and not being a blessing to our church family or the world around us, life centers around our family. For others, maybe we're too outward and we're neglecting our family. We have our eyes focused on others too much. This isn't an easy task. Each family has different dynamics, different capacity, different needs. And like last week, we know that we're all called differently. I know that our family generally has a higher capacity than some others. I have a high capacity but I know others don't have as high of a capacity. And some other people have an higher, even higher capacity than me. But we have our limits. Your family has limits. You have limits. And sometimes our family, we maybe go into the red a little bit. We've got to pump the brakes and we've got to take some time out. For our family, we're prone more, I think, to fall into the side of filling our time with maybe the calendars uh, that where it has the needs of people. You know, sometimes we're overextending ourselves, ministry demands, things like that. And of course, our family's in a unique spot because of my particular role. Our whole life is blended together as one big gray area. My work that I do for a living, our social life, our friends, it's all like this big smoothie. And you can't separate now the different fruits. There's no separation between work and personal life and all these things. So it's hard sometimes for us. So we're in a unique spot that's different than most of us. 
But what's important for us and should be important for you also is to do a lot of preventative maintenance in the meantime. To kind of look down the calendar and ask yourself and ask God, is my calendar aligned with what you're doing in our life? We have to do this, not just in an emergency, but preventative maintenance. We have to be very intentional with our time as a family, making sure our kids know that we love them more than we love ministry making lots of great memories for our family and our kids and prioritizing traditions. And of course, taking lots of pictures so we have proof of that later in life. <laughs> have to be able to show them that. But everyone and every family is different. Every single is different. Every person, every husband, every spouse is different. And for some who are single, you're frustrated maybe because you might be anxious to have a spouse or a family. And for others, you might be frustrated because you wish you had more time for ministry. You're married, you've got kids, you wish you had more time to serve in the church, whatever it might be. Or maybe it's your family, the number of, or ages, the number, the amount of kids or the ages of kids you have, the spiritual condition of your spouse or your own self, your health or your kid's health, or your spouse's health, job dynamics might limit the type of ministry you do. And I want you to keep in mind that just because you're not doing this kind of ministry doesn't mean you're not doing ministry. It just might limit the type of ministry you do. Maybe your ministry at a particular season is taking care of your spouse, discipling your kids. So it's being aware of the limitations that divide your attention from maybe this kind of more, I'll just say more streamlined view of what ministry might be, but it might just be that because of the divided interest that is a reality that you have to shift your mindset of where your ministry is. Regardless, whether you maybe go too much on the side of being inward or maybe you go too much on the side of being outward, we all need to be careful. Some of you as spouses and families have to know the limitations of your spouse and your kids, the capacity of not just yourself, but your collective family. For singles, you have to know that the freedoms that you might have are given to you now. Don't be frustrated waiting for that one day you meet that one person. Don't be so frustrated and pining for that day that you miss out on what God has for you now the unique opportunities that he has for you now, the way that you can be a blessing to the church and to the world, the way that you can be a blessing to be fruitful, multiply, and fill the earth and be a blessing to other families of the earth, even as you're single now. So a few practicals here. As we just close up today, I wanna to just kind of share you a little more personal, some of the things that I do that might hopefully help us maybe to approach this a little bit differently, maybe have a bit of a game plan. For you, let's say if you're married, it might, might be that you have a little family meeting. Maybe tonight or maybe tonight you talk with your spouse and maybe next week you have a family meeting with the kids or whatever it might be. If you're single, maybe it's a little self-analysis, sitting down maybe with a couple friends or extended family, taking an inventory of life in a very honest way. You might write out your roles, the roles that you have. Paul mentions you know, it's their spouses. There's people who do business dealings with the world. It might be a place in life. You're mourning, you're grieving, whatever it is. But you might write out your roles. For me, I have, I have three primary roles that I have written down. I go through this every Monday. I walk through this mission statement for the three primary roles I have in my life. One is just child of God. What's the mission? What is the, the vision for my life as a child of God? That's what I, I, the first thing I look through. The second one is a family man, a husband, and a dad. I look through the, I have a mission statement for what I am called to do as a family man. And thirdly is a, a pastor. Those are my main three. And obviously in those, you can have more categories. I mentioned I, I coach baseball. 
There's other things. I'm, I'm friends. I'm a friend to my friends. I'm a musician. I'm a homeowner. I, I have to, you know, budget things. There's all kinds of different subcategories, but I break it down just into these three things. And I go through kind of my, my vision, why I exist as a dad, why I exist as a pastor, but also my mission, what I'm supposed to do as a dad, what I'm supposed to do as a child of God, and also the strategy. How am I going to accomplish this? How do I believe I'm supposed to do the things I'm supposed to do as a husband, as a dad? And I look through this every single Monday. Now, when I do this, and if you're to do something like this, sometimes the word priorities, or maybe the word balance, sometimes is unhelpful, I think. Not always. But in this case, I think sometimes this is unhelpful. Uh, do we have, do we have the, the, the graphic? Do we have a graphic for this? Number one? Or is there, is there one? It's, it's, right, it's right there. There it is. Okay, cool. So this is where priorities, I think, are a problem. See, sometimes we do this. We have to have God first, and then our spouse, then our family, then our job, then friends, then hobbies. So we have this thought that like, well, I have to get my God time in first, and then I can move on into the other things in life. But see, that's not what we're talking about, right? We don't want to live that way where I got to fit God in and then I can fit in my family time, then I can do this. So if I can somehow fit him in first, then that's what I want to do. But that's where a priority, kind of a list of priorities to me sometimes is unhelpful for this. So the second graph that I'll show you here, or the, the little image, is something more like this, right? Where you have God at the center of all these things. We're saying, God, how does my job fit in with what you're doing in my life? How do I go into my job and have you a priority or the center of my job? How do I have my friends? How do I have my friends, my social life centered around you? So we're not just having my God time and then now we compartmentalize and go do the other things. But we're saying, how do we have God as the center of all these things? So in the third one here, the next uh, one, here's an example if we want to break it down into hobbies, job. This is my personal, um, you know, things that I have in my life. So with hobbies, how do I make me as a baseball coach centered around what God is doing in my life? Okay, so underneath this kind of big category of, of hobbies, I've got baseball coach, I've got music, I've got home projects. How do I make these things center somehow around God? How, how do I serve God in these things? Not just have my God time and then move on to those things, but how can I have these things actually centered around or with my job? All right, so for me, obviously, my job's a little different than yours, but, um, but in your job, how do I go to my job and have my work ethic be something that reflects who God is? I'm a witness for Christ as I go into my job. I'm not being lazy. I'm not cheating. I'm not doing all these things. I'm not gossiping. How can my work ethic, my, my attitude in my job be on display showing who God is? My, my relationships with coworkers. How do I go into, just as we would go into our baseball season saying, God, how can we be a blessing to the families of the earth through baseball? You go into your job. There's that one employee that you can't stand. You say, God, how can I go into that place and be a blessing to my coworkers? How do I do that? And it's not about priorities per se, it's not just about providing for the family and all those things, but it's about how these values, what drives, what anchors all the things that we do as a family, as a person who has a job, person who has a social life, you have your different hobbies, whatever it might be, we say, how do these things emanate from this gravitational pull, the center and who, of who God is, who he is in my life? How does that feed everything? Like we talked last week about how our salvific calling, 
right? Our salvation, our, our identity in Christ, that is what feeds our functional calling. How do all these things rotate in orbit around God? Not how do we just fit God into our calendar somehow, but how do these things rotate around God? So I'd ask you, and I want to read one scripture before we end our time, but asking you, what roles or activities do you need to look at in your life? Is it your relationship as a coworker or a neighbor for you kids? Is it maybe the sports team you're on or your classmates? We should be able to say the great statement from the Westminster Confession of Faith that the chief end of entering whatever it is there, being a baseball coach, being a spouse, going to school, the chief end of me going to school is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. The chief end of me being on the street that I live in is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. The chief end of my hobbies is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. We should be able to say that there. Remembering that Paul says just a couple weeks ago in 1 Corinthians 6, 19, you're not your own. You were bought with a price, so glorify God in your body. Let's pray now and ask the Lord to help us, to help us live in the context that we're in, but to live in a way that that context itself is not ultimate. Asking us to give a desire and a passion for his name, and that that would be the fuel that drives us as we live the life that God has called us to. Heavenly Father, your Son came and stood in our place. We had nothing to offer. We rightly deserved punishment for our sin, but he took the punishment for our sin for us. He came to this earth and lived the life that we couldn't live and died the death that we should have died. And through that, he purchased our freedom from sin and death. He purchased us out of the slavery of sin and death. And so we ought not just to try to fit him in to our life, but rather, as Paul says uh, later in 1 Corinthians, that whatever we do, whether we eat or drink, whatever our hobbies are, whatever, whatever place we're in life, whatever we do, we do all to the glory of God. God, that that would be the thing that drives us. And we know that we're not there yet. We know that we have so much uh, change to go on in our heart, but this is where we want to remind ourselves of how patient you are. God, I know that there's people here that look at their calendar and they just, they see very glaringly, like the satire, the, the satire piece that I read, that there's just so much that's just out of order in their life. There's a bit of chaos in their life. But rather, God, than us coming under the condemnation or the guilt or the shame of maybe having our priorities totally out of whack, and we have to admit that that's often the case in our life, but we would just rest. We would have relief stepping back, knowing that you're patient knowing that you're good, knowing that you love us, that you're willing just to take the next little baby step with us. You don't expect us to go from zero to 60 instantly and immediately, but you're willing to work in us and change us, even if slowly, as we just continue to pour water on the dirt of our hearts, that over time there would be something that sprouts out of our hearts. We know that you're patient. So Lord, help us to be patient with our own selves, with our spouses, our kids, our place in life, our singleness. We need your grace towards us, Lord. We need your love. Help us, Lord, to know you more.
to love you more, to be amazed by you more. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen.